Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply Rob Wolf, welcome to episode number 87 of Unformidable, a podcast where we take a look back at some of the less heralded Mets in our beloved franchise's ever quirky history, because to us, every player who dons the orange and blue is in some way unformidable. And this week, as I record, as we record this podcast, uh, we will see the Mets heralding one of the most heralded Mets in the franchise's history, uh, we'll see one of the truly great and satisfying days in Mets history as the team finally and fittingly will raise number 17 to the rafters to honor the one and only Keith Hernandez. And I'm not just appreciating this and, you know, because it's something honoring my franchise, this is uh, something, you know, personally important to me. Definitely my childhood hero, Keith, I would have to say. Uh, as Amazing Avenue's great and beloved Brian Salvatore once noted, he's met me five times, I think he said, and at least three of them I was wearing a Keith Hernandez shirt or jersey. Uh, Keith is right in my wheelhouse. He came to the team when I was like nine or ten, had watched the Mets struggle, and I guess struggle, I'd watched the Mets flat out suck for pretty much my entire conscious life, and definitely my whole baseball rooting life, and he seemed to give the franchise instant credibility. Of course, as has been noted over the years, and especially of late with this occasion coming up, 
the number retirement is a bit of a quirky, there's a bit of a quirk to wrinkle to it, if you will, in that while Keith will be the last, uh, well, Keith, no one else will ever wear the number 17, Keith was not actually the last Met to wear number 17. In fact, a plethora of mostly not entirely notable players have worn the number between 1989 and 2010. Uh, so in in our own way of honoring Keith, thought it would be fun to look back, explore this phenomenon, and discuss it as we look back at one of the first to wear 17 post-Keith, and or one of the first who wouldn't actually qualify as a big baseball name, but nonetheless is unfor- unformidable to us, Mr. Jeff McKnight. Jefferson Allen McKnight was born February 18th, 1963, in Conway, Arkansas. I did not know he was from there until I researched this podcast, and I will say, based on his appearance, it uh, definitely confirmed many stereotypes I probably made about Jeff McKnight based on his appearance and his not-quite-Keith-like, but also pretty prominent and notable mustache. McKnight was drafted in the first by the Baltimore Orioles in the 28th round of the 1982 draft out of uh, University of Arkansas, Fort Smith. Uh, he did not sign, went back to school for another year, uh, which served him well as the Mets would draft him in the second round of the 1983 draft. And as another wonderful Amazing Avenue contributor, Allison McCaig, who would Deeply appreciate McKnight's career really revolved around those two franchises, the Baltimore Orioles and the New York Mets. He would sign with the Mets, make his debut with the Mets, uh, move to Baltimore's org at one point, and come back to the Mets to finish his professional career. McKnight's father, Jim McKnight, was a professional ball player. He played uh, two parts of two seasons with the Chicago Cubs in the early 60s. Uh, similar capacity, uh, infield, outfielder, pinch hitter, much as McKnight would be. Uh, McKnight would have a longer career than his dad, playing parts of six seasons with the Mets and the Orioles as kind of your quintessential utility infielder. In fact, the only utility player, pinch hitter, uh, the only two positions he wouldn't play in his major league career were center field and pitcher. McKnight would not tear up the minors. He was never going to be a power hitter, uh, never hit more than four home runs in a minor league season until 1989. Uh, So he started in 83 in low A ball, made his way up through the org over five, six years. Uh, Slowly but surely, his highest uh, OPS in a full season was 1987-697. Uh, but again, he was versatile, good defensively, uh, could play a lot of positions, and probably just looked like an org depth kind of piece. Didn't strike out a lot, and generally walked about as much as he would strike out, so that while there was no power, he would generally have an on-base percentage in the 350s and across some of his minor league seasons uh, to supplement his uh, versatility. In 1989, he was in his seventh year in the Mets organization, uh, still had peaked at AAA Tidewater, uh, where he had, you know, would have to qualify as his best minor league season. Uh, he hit nine home runs, uh, 79 walks against 56 strikeouts. Still, still only hit 249, but with a 
3.68 on-base percentage. And finally, I haven't been able to figure out whom, but I'm presuming there was an injury, uh, did get called up for a six-game cup of coffee to make his Major League debut in 1989 with the Mets. 89 was, of course, Keith's last season, Keith Hernandez's last season with the Mets, um, and so McKnight would not wear 17 making his debut at the Mets. He would come up and sport number 15 in 1989. And in fact, McKnight would appear in some meaningful games that year, as, as the Mets, of course, that was year six of seven of their you know, second place or better run of success. Um, when McKnight made his Major League Baseball debut on June 6th of 1989, it was at Wrigley Field against the Chicago Cubs, who were three and a half games ahead of the Mets, and of course would ultimately win the division that year by six games over the Mets, uh, as the Mets would fall short that season uh, to the Cubs. McKnight came in to pinch hit for... Roger McDowell, with the Mets trailing 6-4 in the top of the seventh, he would make his Major League debut against old friend of the organization, Calvin Schiraldi. With two outs and no one on, the switch-hitting McKnight would single the other way through the hole between short and third, uh, but be stranded. McKnight would earn a start the next day at second base, his first Major League start, and he'd go one for two with a pair of walks as Doc Gooden would outduel Rick Sutcliffe as he justifiably should have for the 1984 Cy Young Award. And the Mets would win 10-5 and improve to 29-26, and 26, uh, back to two and a half games behind the 32-24 and 24 Chicago Cubs. All in all, McKnight would go 3-for-12 over six games in early to middle of June, uh, three for, three for twelve, all singles with those two walks, uh, four starts at second base, and a few pinch hitting appearances. I feel like I followed the Mets religiously those years, uh, eighty four to ninety, and beyond. And I really don't remember McKnight coming up in eighty nine. I remember him more on the poor early nineties teams. And though McKnight actually didn't wear 17, he and Keith did not share the same field in 1989. Uh, Keith was uh, injured from May 17th uh, through July 13th of 1989, uh, so McKnight was not called up for him, but uh, Hernandez was on the DL at that point, and they didn't share a field, sadly. Keith was starting to break down a bit. He did not have a great uh, 1989 uh final season with the Mets, and of course after the 1989 season he would leave for Cleveland uh, for his final uh, disappointing Major League season. 89 would also end disappointingly for the Mets as an organization as well. Going into September the Mets were only two and a half games behind the Cubs uh, in a tight four-way pennant race with the Expos, Cardinals, and Cubs uh, but the Cubs would pull away winning the division by six games. Keith has talked a lot in his lead-up to his number being retired about the trade to New York ultimately being the best thing for his career, even if he didn't see that at first. Uh, I like to think Keith leaving for Cleveland had to be among the worst, and you know, maybe not the best for the Mets organization as well. seemed like they just should have stayed together till the end, although... You know, although in fairness to the Mets, they did have the proverbial poor man's Keith Hernandez and Dave Magadan, who I really didn't appreciate at the time, but uh, 
you know, much like Keith in his Hall of Fame case, I think Magadan probably would be appreciated more nowadays uh, in the post-Moneyball OBP appreciating world. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Much like Keith's tenure with the Mets as a major league player, at least, obviously not as an announcer or an icon, came to an end. So too, uh, McKnight's first tenure with the Mets would come to an end after the 89 season. He uh, certainly hoped... Uh, not. Uh, he, when he was sent back to AAA Tidewater after his call-up, uh, he was immediately, uh, that little taste immediately fired him back up to try and make it back. Uh, as he told the Newport News Daily Press at the time, he, he felt, I came back here having learned a few things, McKnight said. The biggest thing was just to try to play my game and hope it's good enough to get another call from the majors. Released by the Mets after the 1989 season, uh, McKnight would find a home for a couple of years, as mentioned earlier, with the other organization that tried to take a shot on him on the draft, the Baltimore Orioles. McKnight would spend 1990 and 1991 uh, riding the AAA major shuttle for the Baltimore Orioles. He'd appear in 45 games for them across two seasons, uh, making... 127 plate appearances across those two years, but he did get to achieve one notable Major League first, hitting his first of what would be five career Major League home runs. And it would not be a cheapie, as the left fielder for the day, Jeff McKnight, would homer off of Jack Morris uh, deep to right field to tie what had what had been a one nothing game. Uh, Morris would then surrender a single to Cal Ripken, uh, that would give Baltimore a 2-1 lead that they would hold on for victory. Uh, so a clutch eighth-inning game-tying home run off of a future Hall of Famer. Undeserving Hall of Famer, if you ask me, but, you know, whatever. Hall of Famer nonetheless. Uh, not a bad way to hit your first Major League home run. The Orioles were released McKnight after the 91 season, and he'd ping-pong back to the Mets org. Uh, but in 92 and 93, he'd get um, some decent time with the with the Major League team. In 92, actually, he'd only appear in 31 games. Uh, but 1993, obviously not a great year for the Mets, but a great year for McKnight, the only one he did not split between the majors and the minors. He spent the whole season on the Major League roster. And 94, uh, he was back on the shuttle and uh, spent uh, 31 games in the majors with the Mets. In 1992, uh, he came up in August and kind of played through the end of the year uh, as, you know, bench utility kind of guy. Hit his first Met home run on 
September 15th, 1992, again at Wrigley Field. Uh, this one was a difference in the game. It was a two-run homer in the top of the sixth off of Sean Bosky that gave the Mets a 4-2 victory. But getting back to our overarching theme of this podcast, uh, McKnight did not wear the number 17 in 1992. In 91 and 92, David Cohn wore the number for the Mets, uh, and notable tribute to Hernandez after he left, and, you know, pretty symbolic, I think, of how all the players, uh, you know, whether pitchers or everyday players, really looked up to Keith and appreciated his leadership on those great Met teams. I pretty distinctly remember Cohn uh, switching, I think, from 44, did he wear, uh, to 17, to honor Keith, and he wore it those last two years he was with the Mets. In 93, no one would wear number 17 for the Mets, but as noted at age 30, McKnight would have his really one extended run uh, in the majors. I mean, he wouldn't play every day, but he would get spend the whole season on the major league roster, appearing in 105 games uh, for 164 at-bats, 183 plate appearances for a team that, of course, would go 59 and 103. McKnight would remain positive and do his best. Uh, he hit a big home run in a game in May, and noted to the Times that we were supposed to, that's what we're supposed to do. Uh, you know, speaking about, of course, being a reserve player, need to stay ready when we get the chance. Hope to do something positive. And he was ready again and hit what would be his final major league home run in late September of that year in a pinch hitting appearance against the Cardinals, a three run homer, uh, helping the Mets to victory. But most notably, for purposes of today's podcast, he would do most of that, uh, accomplish all of that, have all of those plate appearances, I believe, sporting the number 17. And while he would appear in 31 games in 1994 as a Met, uh, I believe by that point he had turned 17 over to Brett Saberhagen, uh, who had started with 18 but wanted to switch over to 17. Uh, I think kind of to honor Cohn and Hernandez, or I don't know. I've tried to, even though he pitched well a couple of years, tried to block out a lot of the Brett Saberhagen era as a Met. For Jeff McKnight, his professional baseball journey ended after the 94 season. Uh, 31 games, uh, only 27 at-bats. Uh, he came up with the Mets uh, that year. He, he goes up and down again started the season with the organization, was up kind of till May, uh, went down, uh, came up for a few games in June, and then came up, uh, and actually his last major league appearance was, I think, the last game before the strike in 1994. He did single in his last plate appearance uh, in the top of the 12th inning uh, of a 1-1 game against the Phillies. Uh, Line drive over the third baseman's head, thrown out, trying to stretch it into a double in what would be, as I said, I think August 11th, 1994, his last major league at bat, and the last Mets game of the ill-fated 1994 Major League Baseball season. And uniform number 17 had a strange journey after uh, after Jeff McKnight and Brett Saberhagen. Uh, so... According to legend, as it were, the Mets' longtime clubhouse manager, Charlie Samuels, used to like to kind of tweak and needle Keith 
uh, by occasionally giving 17 out to some of your more nondescript players. Just looking through some of the people who wore 17, uh, Louis Lopez from 1997 to 1999, who was probably my second choice to uh, for the 17 podcast, and who I mostly just remember for, I believe he got into a fight with Ray Ordonez once, which made me happy, because boy, I didn't like Ray Ordonez. Um, Graham Lloyd, there's a great one. Kevin Epier, Mike Bordick, uh, and also two people who have been featured on this podcast before. Uh, Dae Sung Koo, uh, most famous for hitting that double uh, plus an error, I think, getting to third off of Randy Johnson when Johnson was on the Yankees. And I'm pretty sure it was Koo, uh, as my friend Rob Ward reminded me, uh, who when Hernandez really got annoyed uh, on the air. I think that was when he had just started uh, announcing for SNY or hadn't been back announcing for too, too long and kind of went on a rant about quote-unquote middling middle relievers getting assigned the number. So uh, the impression I got or from, from what uh, my friend was telling me he heard on sports radio and, you know, reporting uh, about this is that Charlie Samuel thought it was kind of all in good fun, but I don't know that Keith always took it that way. At least the final uh, person to wear 17 from 2008 to 2010, Fernando Tatis, also the subject of a previous unformidable podcast, uh, wore it, I think, with pride and uh, was, you know, pretty solid, semi-regular as a Met. A couple of other quirky names in there, too, one or two of whom may may also get the unformidable treatment later in the year. Uh, so I'll leave that, but uh, perhaps I'll just tweet, uh, I'll send out the uniform number list. Um, and it's really peculiar, the Mets treatment of number 17, uh, as a, if you oppose if if you look at like number eight for Gary Carter, which they haven't retired yet, that actually though has been treated much more like a number that was a little more consciously taken out of circulation. Uh, there was one or two people uh, have worn it. Uh, three three people have worn it since Gary Carter: Dave Gallagher in '92 and '93, Carlos Baerga, who though he was horrible as a Met, probably had a big enough name to I guess request it, and former unformidable subject and great pitching, great position player pitcher Desi Relaford wore it in 2001. But those are the only three people, and the number has actually been out of circulation longer than 17. Uh, The Mets also took 24 out of circulation for quite a while for Willie Mays after 1973. And in fact, only Ricky Henderson and Robinson Cano have worn it since. Oh, and, and somehow Kelvin Torvey in 1990 uh, I might have just discovered another unformidable. Uh, I don't know how he got that number. But um, again, it's fascinating that those numbers seem to get more of that treatment than 17, you know, whether that's a Wilpon thing or what. But uh, bottom line, I'm grateful the number has been retired. And I believe, uh, judging by the reactions people have been having to this event, uh, most Met fans are grateful as well. So it's a happy ending for Keith and for the Mets and their fans. I wish this podcast had a happier ending uh, for Jeff McKnight, but sadly it does not. First, let's note the perseverance, uh, regardless of whether you want to quibble over someone wearing a number of your idol uh, who you think was not worthy. Uh, The perseverance of seven years in the minors before getting yourself to the majors and 
fashioning a six-year major league career. The stats aren't that glamorous. Over six years, Jeff McKnight appeared in 218 major league games, uh, hit five career home runs, uh, 34 RBIs, uh, 233 batting average, 284 on base, 304 slugging percentage for a 588 OPS and a 63 OPS plus. Uh, overall, baseball reference uh, graded him as a below average negative 1.1 war uh, per baseball reference. Um, as a Met, uh, he actually was is a negative uh, 0.4 war, actually slightly, a uh, 0.1 war offensively, but negative 0.3 defensively. But again, a scrappy, hard-nosed player who uh, whose you know perseverance uh, got him to the majors. Uh, as I said, played uh, seven of the nine positions on the field, and I do believe had a couple of pretty memorable baseball cards. His look uh, between his glasses and his mustache uh, was a memorable one, uh, I would say, for uh, for a young baseball card collecting fan such as myself. You should go check them out. After a couple of years in the independent leagues in 97 and 98, uh, McKnight officially retired from baseball at the age of 35, and he sadly passed away in 2015 at the age of 52, uh, following a 10-year battle with leukemia. Uh, His brother Jim had died less than one month before he did. Jim was a minor league player who spent a long time in the Cardinals and Astros organizations, but never quite made it to the major leagues himself. And I was truly saddened to learn about that as I prepared this podcast. And while his number is not going to be retired, uh, none of the four or so numbers he wore as a Met will be retired. He is a part of the Met family, and as such, Jeff McKnight, truly unformidable. Thank you for listening to Unformidable. Please go to AmazonAvenue.com for more Mets-related content and follow Amazon Avenue on all the social medias. Uh, you can find this and all of our Amazon pods wherever you get your podcasts. I'm original Music by Bunga. I'm on Twitter at WolfRR, W-O-L-F-F-R-R, and the show is at Unformidable. Thank you, and as always, let's go Mets.